Well, good morning. So glad you're here at the early service. It's going to be a good, good day. Happy Easter to you. If you're brand new to Core Church, if this is your first time, my name is Brad Farnsworth. I'm the lead pastor, and I normally don't dress like this. <laughs> my wife tells me every Easter and every Christmas you can't wear a tie because you never wear a tie. It's going to throw people off. And I'm just, uh, I was raised in the church. How many of you were raised in, in church? And you know, like, I, I know who you are because I can see you. You're wearing a tie. You're wearing some kind of slacks because you just feel like it would be an abomination unto God if I wore my jeans today. Although we would wear it that Sunday. But today, I just felt like I needed to dress up. It's Easter Sunday. And so I wanted to just dress up, and normally I, I don't look like this. Um, but thanks for being here. After the service, if you are brand new and Laura and I have not met you yet, we would love to meet you. So uh, Laura and I will be right down here at the end of the service. Just come down here, and we would love to say hi. Next week, brand new series. Make sure you're here. What in the world am I doing? I am so pumped about this. If you've ever wondered, why am I on this planet? You've got to be here next week. It's a five-week series. So turn to somebody and say, I'm going to be here next week because I don't have a clue what I'm doing in this world. And if you know them, turn back and go, yeah, you don't have a clue. You need to be here for that. Well, we're going to continue our series today uh, and actually finishing up our series called Prepare the way. If you have a Bible, let's go to the Bible. We're going to be in the book of John chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, we give them away for free. We'll give you one after the service. Just come down here to the front. We'll give you one here, or you can go to the next step room. They're free. We'll make sure to put one in your hand. Or if you have a mobile device, just go to corechurch.com. You can download a free Bible right there. And I read out of what's called the New Living Translation. So if you're on a mobile device, go to the NLT, and that's where I'm going to be this morning. So, John, let me give you some background on this. If you haven't been here for this series, we've been talking about this guy named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was actually a cousin, a relative of Jesus. They were about the, the same age. So these guys, they grew up together. And John the Baptist was the one who was chosen by God to proclaim that Jesus was the Messiah. How cool of a role is that to get to play? And so that's what he spent his life doing. And so we're going to be in John chapter 1. Now, to add to the confusion here, this John is not John the Baptist who wrote this, okay? So as you're looking at this, this is actually written by John the Apostle of Jesus. So it's kind of confusing, but just to add to the confusion, two different Johns. So let's go to John chapter 1 and verse 29. And if you would, let's stand in honor of reading God's word today. John chapter 1 and verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said this, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as a Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And then John testified. He said this, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. And I... I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. Let's pray. God, on this most holy day, your day, the day that we honor you as risen Savior and King, 
would you, in this moment, come and visit with us? We ask your Holy Spirit to come. And uh, Church, I want to ask you to just pray for those around you. You don't have to do that out loud. Just just pray right now that, that God would help us to all just hear the message he wants to speak to us. And pray also for your own self that, hey, God, help me. Help me to be open. Help me to hear what you want to say. And then pray for me as your pastor. I, I need your prayers that I, I would say what God wants us all to hear and we could all grow in the knowledge of who he is. And if you're ready to hear from the word of God in Jesus' name, give me a big amen. You may be seated. Well, congratulations to the University of Oklahoma getting into the final four. Like four of you are excited about that because even the OU fans are not excited about it because it's, it's basketball. We don't care. Isn't that strange? In, in Oklahoma, we only care about one thing. College football, baby. It's all about college football. In Oklahoma, across the South, it, it isn't like this anywhere else in the country. But here, we build these massive stadiums, do we not? They're incredibly large. In fact, the, uh, the OU stadium is so big, you could take the entire city of Bixby, Jinx, and Owasso, place them all in the stadium where the Sooners play, and there would still be room for a few thousand more. That's nuts. We give up our Saturdays, don't we? Like, we work our schedule around the game. It's not like that anywhere else. Even as a pastor, this has happened. I, I promise you this has happened. I've been planning weddings with couples, and they'll look at the calendar, and they'll, they'll be like, how about we get married at 3 o'clock in the afternoon? And the guy will say, oh, let's make it noon because the kickoff's at 4.30. Serious. That has actually happened. And, and we, have, um, we have terms that we use that nobody else knows what these terms mean, like bedlam. Nobody else knows that. We say boomer. We say orange. (laughs) So Daniel, so I step off here. So Daniel earlier is like, he is risen. Like five people, he is risen indeed. I just say orange and you hear power. There's also another power, the power of the Holy Spirit. We have these terms, though, do we not? Like like wishbone is another one. We have uh, wishbone, paddle people. We just have all these terms that make no sense outside of our context. And and all of our heroes, they're known by one name, are they not? Switzer, Sanders, Sims, Schnellenberger. (laughs) That was for the OSU fans. I knew they would... I love that sweet memory, but that we, we just live for it. And outside of our context, if you, how many of you born, raised, bred in Oklahoma? Raise your hand. Okay, let me share something with you. For those of us that aren't born, bred, raised in Oklahoma, it ain't like this anywhere else. My son was born and raised here in Oklahoma, a Sooner fan, uh, and he went to the University of Oklahoma, moved to Los Angeles, and is in the film industry with people that eat grass and drive electric things, and... They have no clue about any of this stuff. They don't know what it is. If he were to yell out, Boomer, they would hit the ground thinking there's an earthquake. 
They don't know what he's talking about. If he were to mention paddle people, they'd be like, oh, we don't spank out here. No, sirree, no. No, that's just not right. We put our children in time out. They're just little humans. They don't treat them like that. It's just crazy, though. I mean, that's, that's not like anywhere else in the country like college football is here. Well, the same thing can be said about football is, can be said about the church. It is, in fact, you, you may be here today, and you may be saying, I, I don't get this whole Jesus thing. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Like, we, we, you see us, and you're like, man, the, you gather every week in these auditoriums by the hundreds, and you, you give up your you give up your Sunday. That doesn't make any sense outside of our context. They, they see us giving up a Sunday, and they're like, like for instance, somebody's like, hey, I've got a, we're planning a birthday party. Is wondering if you could come to our birthday party. And you'd be like, well, I, I can. That's, that's when church is. And the, the, people don't, they don't get that. That doesn't maybe make sense to you. Like, you, you may have come in today, and, and we not only come in and gather in auditoriums all over every Sunday, but then you come in, and people are raising their hand. Like, they got questions. I have a question. Somebody answer my question. It's right there. I see that question. I mean, you're like, everybody's got a question. And we're clapping after songs. We're clapping. You see, you hear shouting going on. I mean, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to you. We, then, then we have terms. We use terms that you don't even recognize, like uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, which to you sounds like some kind of herb that you put on a salad. You're like, I'm going to get that. I'm going to put that on my Easter ham. That sounds delicious. We use phrases like, the blood, being washed in the blood. Okay, do you understand how creepy that sounds outside of here? To be washed in the blood? Okay, words like righteousness. And none of these terms, they just, they don't make any sense to you at all. Our heroes are all known by one name, are they not? There's Peter, James, John, Paul, all, all of these different people that are all known just by one name. And you may not recognize who, them, who they are. But we, many of you do instantly know who those people are. So who is Jesus? Why all, why all the hype? You might be here today and you have no clue who Jesus is. Or maybe, maybe you, you've been in church before or you grew up in church and you've heard this, this story of the resurrection and you just, you're like, I don't, I don't know if I buy all this hype. I mean, I've heard it. I was raised around it. I just don't, I just don't know if I buy it. And if we're, we're really honest, those of you that say you're a follower of Jesus, even for you, there are times where you wonder, is it? Is it really true? Well, I want to explore that for a few minutes. I want us to talk about that for a few minutes. Who is Jesus. And what about these claims? And what I want to do today is do something, I want to do this in a very practical way that uh, goes beyond, oh, because the Bible says so. I mean, that, that's true. I believe that. But that answer just does not suffice for so many people. So let, let's talk about that. I want us to go back to the book of John. And we're going to look at this story from John's perspective, from John the Baptist. And he tells us in John chapter 1 who Jesus is. So let's look at John 1 and verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, let's 
Let's say this together. It's on the screen here. Let's say this last part together. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, this is a huge statement. Now, now to us, we just read that and we're like, oh, that's a beautiful, poetic term and phrasing. That's so nice what he said. But what we don't realize is how polarizing that comment was and that statement that John the Baptist made right there in that moment. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible and the teachings of the Bible, during Jesus' time, they had the sacrificial system, which meant if you sinned, they would offer a lamb or an animal to be sacrificed for that sin. So when John the Baptist steps up and says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, they're like, whoa, 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 hey, hold on just a second here. Because they've also heard of this prophet named Isaiah. And if you are taking notes, I want you to write this down, Isaiah 53. You can go and read this later, Isaiah 53. It's a fascinating read. Isaiah lived almost 700 years before Jesus, and he talked about this guy who was coming, who was going to be the Messiah, and he was going to be the Lamb of God. He was going to be slaughtered for our sin. And here's John the Baptist in this moment. What he is saying here is he's saying, he's the guy. Like, this is, this is him. This guy right here, Messiah, Son of God. He's, he's the one that we have been waiting for. Now, just think for a moment how, how crazy that statement is. And, and honestly, just stop and just think how crazy that sounds to us today. Have you really stopped and just thought about that? Jesus, this carpenter who lives in this really small town, grows up. He gathers a few men who are outcasts anyway. They can't really... They weren't the chosen ones, and they were never picked by a rabbi, but Jesus picks them, and, and he can somehow convinces them that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. This guy who works with his hands, he's a carpenter, he's making cabinets, uh, you know, I mean, this is the guy who's saying, no, I, I am, I'm the Son of God, I'm the Messiah. So these guys, they buy in. Not only they buy in, they give three years of their life to follow after this guy. Then he dies on this cross. And then these guys are convinced that somehow he has risen from the grave. And they begin to tell this story about him being risen from the grave. And somehow they're convinced. And it's such a polarizing moment in history. It splits B.C. and A.D. And we've been talking about it ever since. Like, and this small group of guys from this little old village that rises up and a few followers, now, to this day today, as we gather around the world, over two, excuse me, two billion people gather right now to proclaim this truth. From 11 or 12 or a half dozen or a, a small group of 100 people, <laughs> They rise up to today, over 2 billion people around the world are gathered to proclaim to say that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Can I get just an amen there, because that's just good. Now, some people might dismiss John the Baptist. I mean, I, I look at John the Baptist, and, and you may say, yeah, but come on, I know the story of John the Baptist, and, and if you don't, the thing about John the Baptist is John the Baptist was was killed before the resurrection, before Jesus was hung on the cross. And, and he was beheaded 
and martyred. And so he, he never saw the cross. He never saw the resurrection. So for some people, it would just be really easy to dismiss that. But what do you do with these few people that were closest to Jesus, his disciples, the ones who claimed that they actually saw a resurrection? What do we do with them? Because the disciples, they knew him best, right? They lived with the guy for three years. They saw him behind closed doors. I mean, think about that for a moment. Who, who knows you best? Who knows you better than your family? Your family knows you better than anybody, right? Because they see you behind closed doors. Like, they see you in all your ugly. They've seen you in your PJ pants and your T-shirt. I mean, they know you ain't all that. Like, you can get out here and you got all slicked up and looking good and playing the part, but your family, they all know the real you, right? I mean, think about, your, like, your, if you have kids, if you're faking it, won't your kids sometimes call you on it publicly? That's fun, isn't it? Can you imagine taking your kids, like, to a job interview? <laughs> so, Mr. Farnsworth, um, would you consider yourself a self-disciplined man? Oh, Mama says he's good for nothing, lays around on the couch all day eating chips. <laughs> I mean, can you, that was, that's how that would go down. Mr. Farnsworth, do you work well with others? Well, you should have seen him on the way here. Some guy cut him off, and he just chased him down and waved him the finger. Tell him about it, Daddy. Tell him the whole story. Your kids are really good at that, are they not? They will call you out. Yet, we see here throughout Scripture that the disciples who were with Jesus for three years never saw a single flaw, never wrote about it, never talked about it, never called him out on anything. Like there's a point where Jesus is questioned about paying taxes, and he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. I don't know if that's how Jesus talks, but I just assume he does talk that way. You would think in that moment, if he didn't, you'd think one of the disciples would go, hey, 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 hang on. He cheats on his income tax. He watches R-rated movies, and he goes to the casino. I've seen him. You, you would think one of them would call him out on it, but not a single one does. In fact, just the opposite happens. Think of his brother, his brother James. If you don't know the story of his brother James, I mean, his brother James, can you imagine growing up with Jesus? And uh, just imagine, your brother walks in and proclaims, I am the Messiah, the son of the living God. You're going to look at him and go, dude, you work at the hardware store. You're not him. That's, and that's what James did. James is like, Messiah, are you kidding me? Dude, I grew up with this guy. I mean, he's, he's just a carpenter. He, he ain't nobody. And then there was a death. And then there was a, a resurrection, and his, his, his brother, James, who didn't believe in him, suddenly claims, I've seen him alive. And he says, I have got to proclaim this message to anyone and everyone who will listen. James goes from not believing in Jesus to saying, I'm going to help head up the church right here in Jerusalem. I'm going to get the council together. We're going to start sending out the missionaries. We're going to start telling everybody about it. James, the brother who doesn't believe, suddenly says, I've seen him risk it all and writes a letter about his, uh, just about his life and how we should live, and it's accounted for us in the New Testament. This guy went from not believing to believing he's his brother. What about the rest of them? What about the other disciples? 
who'd heard the stories, Jesus telling him, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Son of God. And one of them decided, I'm not sure I buy this and, and betrayed him. But the other 11, they were like, I don't know, I think he might be. And then suddenly there's a death and this supposed resurrection. And, and these 11 guys that remain say, I've seen him alive. Like, I've seen it. They're risking all in this moment, okay? They, they have nothing to gain from saying that. They would be best to just go back to their jobs because in that moment where they say, I've seen him alive, they are ostracized from their families. We see in the accounts of Scripture, these guys were so convinced that they would go to jail over it. They were beaten saying, you need to recant for what you're saying. It's not true. And they're saying, we can't. We've seen it. It's real. It's true. And they go out and they start spreading this gospel at the risk of being beaten and ostracized. And they they are in prison and ultimately lose their life over it. Every one of them martyred for it. Peter crucified upside down. Several of them dragged through the streets and beaten. And their head cut off. Never recanting of the story. And then there's this other guy. His name is Paul. Paul's an interesting guy because before and then after the resurrection, he still didn't believe. And he was a religious leader, and he was in training to be one of the top religious leaders. And so before it, he saw, and he's like, I don't think that's real. And then after the the death and the resurrection, he's like, I hear the stories, but this is the saint legit. And then he has an encounter with Jesus. Jesus appears to him, and he does a complete 180. And this guy who had been going about arresting Christians and telling them you can't tell that story, putting them in prison and allowing them to be killed, now suddenly says, it's true. I've seen him. And he's so convinced that he gives up everything, gives up his family, his friends, and he begins to travel all around the world proclaiming this gospel of Jesus, saying that he's alive. I've seen him. He's appeared to me. He's alive. And in fact, almost most, if not the, just about the entire New Testament is filled with his letters that he wrote to these churches that he started. He was obsessed with it. Paul was arrested, put in prison, and he's in shackles, and he knows, I'm going to go to my death. You would think in the moment when he's about to go to his death is that moment where he'd say, all right, I made it up, and he doesn't. Not a single one of them ever recanted of that story. Think about that for a moment. If you saw your friend, and you guys had made up some story to try to gain some kind of power or something like that, But you saw the opposite of that happen. You saw people losing their families. If you saw them losing their jobs, losing their position. If you saw your friends being arrested and then tortured and then beaten and then killed and you know you're next in line, don't you think in that moment you would raise your hand and say, it's a hoax. (laughs) Ain't true. We just seriously, we just made it all up. Because I don't know about you, but I'm not willing to die for a hoax. It would be hard enough for me to just die for the truth. So if it is true, why why did God choose this way? Why Jesus? I think John the Baptist helps us a little bit with this. Let's go to verse 30. 
John says this about Jesus. He is the one I was talking about when I said a, and let's say this together, a what? A, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am for, and let's say this together, he what? Existed long before me. So what John the Baptist is saying here in this moment is this guy, Jesus, he's, he's both a man and, and he's, he's God. He, he's here now, but he was here way, way before me. Jesus is fully human, and he's fully God. He was God in the flesh. T- turn to the person next to you and say, he was human just like you. Just better looking. So then that begs the question, why? Why, why would God become human? Why would he do it this way? Why, why would he come and, and live among us? There's a couple of reasons, and I, if you're taking notes, I'd like for you to write this down. Here's the first one. God wants me to know him. God wants me to know him. Laura and I, um, we love to go um, hiking at Turkey Mountain, and I, I use that term loosely uh, because you don't do much hiking at Turkey Mountain because there are no turkeys and there certainly is no mountain. Um, so not like you're going to go hiking and you get altitude sickness. Anybody ever gotten altitude sickness at Turkey Mountain? At Turkey Mountain you have? Okay, put your hands down. Yeah. Yes, I have. It's just a deep, steep climb, steep climb. Whew. Anytime anybody comes to town, you ever taken a, like a, a family member comes into town and you drive by there, there's Turkey Mountain, and they just laugh at you? <laughs> like where? Uh, behind that building over there. <laughs> Since when is a mountain ever obstructed by a, by a building, you know? But we love to, to climb, and when you... When you uh, we love to go hiking at Turkey Mountain, and if you've ever been to Turkey Mountain, how many hike Turkey Mountain, okay? If you, you've got to go, people. You need to get out of the house a little bit. So we, we go, and they have this, at, right at the trailhead, they have all these different maps, and so there's all these different maps up the mountain, and so you can kind of take the A trail, the blue trail, or the red, or the yellow. They have all, they're all color-coded, and so there's different ways that you can, you can hike and, and get up to the top. This is how it is in most religions, this is how most religions approach God, that everybody has got a way up the mountain to God. We're all trying to find our way to God. We're all trying to get to God, and every religion like Islam, Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, all have their unique trail, their path that says, this is the way up the mountain. This is how you find God. Now, when you think about that, that, that makes it sound like God is some distant being out there in a galaxy far, far away. I mean, it just sounds like good luck finding him. Christianity is the only religion that says God came down the mountain to us to show us the way. He came down to show us the way to him. And it's, it's through Jesus that we can know him. God wants you to know him through the life of Jesus, God in the flesh. For example, through Jesus, we see that God is merciful and forgiving. There, there's this story about Jesus, and, and there's a woman, and she's caught in the act of adultery. And they, they 
go in and they drag her out of that bed right in the middle of this act and and she's barely clothed, maybe has just a bed sheet wrapped around her and they throw her down into the street and they decide they're going to stone her, which sounds crazy to us, but in their time, that's what the law allowed them to do and that's what they would do is stone someone like that. And they look at Jesus, they throw her down right in front of Jesus and they're like, so what do you think we ought to do? And Jesus, in this moment, steps in the gap, like right in front of her, and says, no, not this one. And then as they leave, he turns to the lady, and he says, you know what? I forgive you. Now go and and sin no more. Change. Live your life differently. I'm giving you a second chance. That's Jesus showing us a picture of who God is. God is merciful and he is forgiving. God is also compassionate. Through Jesus, we see that God is compassionate. There's another story about Jesus, and he's with his disciples, and they land in this boat, and they're going to go into this town and, and kind of making their way around the cities. And, and instead of going into the city, Jesus does an about face, and he goes into a graveyard. The disciples are like, what are you doing, man? And he goes into this graveyard where this demon-possessed man who is mentally ill is living among the tombstones. The people of the city have just pushed him aside and ostracized him and said, you're not welcome in the city, frankly, because he was too dangerous. And they they would even try to um, just tie him down and to keep him from biting and scratching and clawing at himself and hurting other people, and he would break free from the restraints they would put him in. And Jesus goes right into the middle of this to this man, and he speaks to the demons in his life and casts them out of his life, and he heals the man of his mental illness. And when the people of the city show up and they walk into the graveyard, they see Jesus, and he's sitting next to this man, and he's fully clothed. And they're having a conversation. Jesus is showing you and he's showing me that God is compassionate. He cares about your plight. He cares about your situation. He cares about your hurt. He cares about your brokenness. It's also through Jesus that we see that God simply cares about our day-to-day needs. And I've got some day-to-day needs that I, that I have. And there's this great story, a famous story in Scripture where Jesus had been preaching all day long and it was getting late in the day and they didn't have enough food and the disciples are like, dude, we need to get rid of these people. We need to send them home. We don't have any food for them. And it's too far to go to a store. And Jesus says, you know what? Let me take care of them. They gather up a couple of fish sticks and some crackers. And he feeds over 15,000 people. He doesn't send them away hungry. He feeds them. Why? Jesus is trying to show us in that moment, you know what? I care about your day-to-day needs. I care about, I'm not some distant being sitting on a throne that is uninterested in your plight or your situation. No, I've come to live among you. I've come to be with you so you can know who I am. So here's the second reason. Not only does God want me to know him, he wants to know me. God not only wants me to know him, he wants to know me. God experienced everything we experience. 
through the person of Jesus Christ. Everything. Everything that you as a human being, everything that I as a human being can ever experience. Temptation. God knows what it's like to be tempted. For Jesus, right before his ministry began, he was led out into the wilderness. He wasn't eating. He wasn't drinking for 40 days and 40 nights. And for 40 days and 40 nights, the devil came to him over and over again and kept tempting him over and over again in his weakness, saying, oh, you need to do this. Oh, you need to do this. And kept tempting him over and over. And Jesus never yielded to that temptation. He stood above it. Jesus shows us through his life, God understands. He understands what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to face fear and and uncertainty. You ever faced fear? You You ever been uncertain about the future? Jesus knows a thing or two about that. Night before he was to be executed, he's in a garden and he's praying. He's human. And he's so distraught over it. He's like, God, please figure out another way. Please do it another way. Please, if there's another way, please, please. He, he's so distraught over it. He's so upset by it. He's so stressed by it that his sweat becomes like, like blood. And, and, and fear is, is coming upon him because he knows in his humanness what, what awaits him. Jesus says, I know what it's like to have fear. I know what it's like to be uncertain. Yeah, sis, you ever been lied about? Anybody ever lied about you before? Like, it wasn't true. There's nothing you could say to change it. Didn't matter what you did, didn't matter what you say, people lied about you and you couldn't fix that. Have you, have you ever, you ever been betrayed by somebody? By a really good friend or maybe a family member? You thought they were one person, they turned out to be another, and they slammed you hard? Jesus knows what that's like. God knows what that's like. For he faced the lies of the Pharisees and the religious leaders over and over again. They would lie about him over and over again. And then one of his closest followers, you know his name is Judas. But in the moment of his betrayal, the disciples saw him and thought he was a friend. Recruited by Jesus to to be Jesus' friend, to walk with him. And then in a moment, turns on him. God says, I understand what it's like to be betrayed and lied to. God knows what it feels like to have the weight of sin. All of us have the weight of sin on our lives. And the weight of that is so heavy. And although Jesus never sinned, Scripture teaches us that Jesus, when he went to the cross, the sins of the world were heaped upon him. The weight of your sin and your shame and your brokenness placed upon him, the entire weight of it on Jesus. He knows what that feels like. And that's why John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. It's through him that we overcome It's through Jesus that you overcome temptation. It's through Jesus that you overcome fear. It's through Jesus that you overcome betrayal. It's through Jesus that you overcome your sin, your shame, and your brokenness. It's why John the Baptist said in verse 34, I testify, he is the chosen one of God. It is him. He is the Messiah. He is the son of the living God, slain for the sins of the world. So could this possibly be the, the greatest hoax 
in human history? Or, or could John the Baptist and these other followers, could they be right? I mean, what if Jesus is the Lamb of God? What if he is the one who's sacrificed for our sin and our shame and our brokenness? If it's true, then the resurrection holds so much hope for us. But because of his resurrection, I can be resurrected. I might find myself in a hopeless state, but through Jesus, Son of God, I I can have hope. If the disciples who were lonely and broken came through the death and the resurrection and found hope and healing and unity and love with their Savior, we can too. I'd like for you to bow your head. Let's pray together for a moment. So, Father, in this moment, we, we just want you to speak to each of us. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus. You you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, but you've had some doubts. In this moment, what I want you to do is confess those doubts to him and say, man, I believe. I want to be counted like John the Baptist. I want to be counted like the early disciples. I believe. As a follower of Jesus, maybe even as I was talking, there's Maybe you're facing fear or hopelessness or despair or there's some unforgiveness in your heart that you need to lay before God this morning. As I've talked about these different things, you recognize even as a follower of Jesus, I have some things I need to lay down. This is why Jesus came, to take our sin away, to be remembered no more. If you're a follower of Jesus and you've recognized an area that you need to surrender to him, or maybe you need to fully surrender your life. You say, man, I, if this is, this is true, I f- want to fully give it all to him. No holding back, no half-hearted commitment anymore. I want to give all to him. I won't embarrass you or call you out. I just want to know who you are. Would you just slip up your hand if that's you? You're a follower of Jesus. You've recognized an area of your life. Thank you. In the back and on the sides, in the middle here. I see you over here on the sides. Thank you. Anybody else, you're a follower of Jesus, but you've got an area you need to lay down and fully surrender. Thank you. Got you in the back, all the way in the back over here on the side. You can put your hands down. I want to encourage you that if that's you, to grab a next step card in front of you and write that out as one of your prayer requests so we can join with you in praying. God would set you free from that as you surrender that area or you're all to him you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you into fellowship with him. So as I spoke today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, or maybe you you came to church at one time and you made a commitment, but you've just been away from him for a long, long time. And maybe today is a day where you say, I believe. For the first time in my life, I believe. And, and I want to be counted with them. And I, I, I want to confess my sin. And I want to be counted as a follower of Jesus. I won't call you out. I won't embarrass you. I just want to know who you are so I can pray for you. If that's you today and you say, man, I I want to make a commitment to follow Jesus for the first time, or maybe you've been away from him for a long time, and today you say, I need to come back to him in relationship with him. Would you put up your hand so I can see who you are? 
never made a commitment to follow Jesus and today is your day. Maybe you've been away from him for a long time. Man, I need to come back. Thank you. I see you. Anybody else? I want to encourage you to take a next step card as well and write your name on that. Check the box that says, I made a commitment to follow Jesus. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for the men and women, young people that are represented here today, many of them surrendering their lives, surrendering areas of their life to you right now. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come in in that moment and you'd make them new. And you'd say, I've got this and I forgive you and I'm yours and my Holy Spirit's gonna help you to overcome that as you move forward. And for those who are making that commitment to follow you or coming back to you after being away for a long time, God, I thank you that you forgive their sin. Their sin is counted against them no more. And as they ask you to forgive them, that you come into their life. Your Holy Spirit now is going to give them the power they need. The same power that these early disciples received in their life is the same power that's available to us. And we thank you for that. And we confess and thank you for the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray and we believe. And everybody said, amen. Let's give God a big hand clap for everybody making these steps towards Christ today.